You are Locked On NBA Draft, your daily podcast on the NBA Draft, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yo, yo, what is up? What is up? You are listening to Locked On NBA Draft, and this is your host, Rafael Barlow from NBA Draft Junkies and the new director of scouting for NBA Big Board. And in this episode, I'm going to, as you probably guessed it, recap the Final Four and what was the last game of Coach K's legendary career. But before I get too deep into the episode, I just wanted to let you know that this episode is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online has you covered this season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online is where the game starts. And speaking of legendary careers, it is now April 3rd and I am or is it April 4th? It is April 4th. My days are all mixed up. I'll get into that later. It is April 4th, and I am about a week away from taking over the NBA Big Board as Chad Ford heads off into retirement. Again, I've said it multiple times. I am so thankful and so honored to be in this position that Chad chose me as his successor. And while I'm very thankful for the opportunity, I, I, I admit, I'm going to just keep it 100% honest with you. It's a little pressure, but I wanted to let you know that I'll be taking over the NBA Big Board podcast feed as well, and I'm not sure if I can give you all the details yet, but I'm excited about what the future holds, and right now I am recording in Milan, Italy. It is currently 6.25 a.m., which means it's about 11.25 p.m. back in Dallas where I live at, or Central Standard Time. And I'm recording this episode early because I cannot sleep. I wish I could sleep. I know somebody's going to tell me to take I don't know, melatonin or something like that. I'm not really into taking meds, which I'm probably paying for. But I just can't sleep trying to scout in Europe while watching the NCAA tournament. While also... Trying to travel between two continents has absolutely destroyed my sleep schedule and it has wrecked my body clock. For example, I am here in Italy. I was supposed to scout a tournament in Varese, which is about, I think it's about an hour from here. And I did not make a single game because I knew that I needed to stay up to watch the Final Four on Saturday and I knew that... If I stayed and watched all the games at this tournament, plus like the hour train right there, hour train right back, I'd probably be too sleepy to watch the tournament, which means if I didn't watch it, I probably wouldn't have anything to talk about. So I chose to kind of rest. I've been needing some rest anyway, but rest on Saturday and get a little bit of work done, work on my, my big board, and I, again, didn't go. So... I stayed up to watch the tournament, and then let me get this. Let me before I get into that. One issue: if you've ever had jet lag or ever had to travel between continents back and forth, it is it's tough because I can't sleep when I want to sleep. So when I'm up, I'm tired, 
and when I need to go to sleep, I'm wide awake. So, for example, I watched both Final Four games on Saturday night. Well, it was actually one game started on Saturday night officially, and the second game was on Sunday morning. And the first game started maybe like right before midnight, and the main event, which was the Carolina Duke game, the game that everyone wanted to see, started at 2.49 a.m. Now, I think that game is going to eventually be on ESPN Classic, and not just because it was Carolina Duke in the Final Four and it was Coach K's last game. I mean, overall, it was just a good game. It was a slugfest between, I mean, just two heavyweight trading punches. You had the overachieving eighth-seeded Carolina team led by a rookie coach going up against, you know, this Duke team that could have as many as five, maybe even six guys selected in the first round of the NBA draft. So all that storyline was intriguing in itself. So I had to watch the game. But by the time the game ended, which I'll recap later, but by the time the game ended, it was 5 a.m. And, of course, after my adrenaline is pumping after watching this great game, I can't just fall asleep right afterwards. So I wanted to, like, watch the recaps and check out Twitter comments. And I am a married man whose wife is thousands of miles away and pregnant. I have to check in with her and, you know, just check with everything before I go to bed. So by the time all that is done, it is between 5.45 and 6 a.m. And I was wide awake. I ended up turning on YouTube, trying to watch uh, a video for the Errol Spence fight that's coming up in Dallas in a couple of weeks. I watched a preview on like the Showtime YouTube channel. I eventually fell asleep. But when I was asleep, I was knocked out. When I say knocked out, I mean knocked out. I'm usually a light sleeper. But I was out, out. And when I woke up, I had missed calls and mixed text, mixed text messages. And it was 3 p.m. on Sunday afternoon. So now my whole day is gone and I needed to eat, which I'm starving at this point. And then I needed to work on my big board that drops on NBABigBoard.com later on today. So by the time you hear this message, or I mean, I'm sorry, hear this podcast again, I'm sleepy. Hear this podcast, the big board should be out. And if it's not out by the time you listen to it, just wait a couple hours and, and it should be updated. But if you've made a big board, then you know how much time, how much work it takes. Making a big board is time consuming. At least for me, it is. I mean, I go back and forth. I watch film. I dig up advanced stats. I look up old box scores. Then I look at the list, then I move a guy down, move a guy up, then I have to make sure I didn't forget somebody. It, I mean, it, it's definitely a task. So after I finally get the order set, I need to write a paragraph or two summarizing the player. Again, this is something that is kind of like pushing me out of my comfort zone in a sense because now this is, I mean, I have big footsteps to follow with Chad because that is something that he did. He always had his big board top 60. Some guys only do like first round. But he did a top 60 big board and he gave a brief summary or paragraph or two on each prospect. So, again, by me having big shoes to fill, I have to do that. And then this week coming up and I mean, it's it's an exciting week, but also kind of bittersweet because it is Chad's last performance. I'll have my big board on Monday. It will be which is today. It will be my top 20. And then it'll be 21 through 40 on Tuesday. And then the remaining 60 or what's left of the 60 will come out on Wednesday. So 
I've been working on that, watching film. And again, I'm just, I'm just tired. <laughs> that's, that's the best way to explain. I'm tired. But again, I'm looking forward to everything that is coming up this week. I'm looking forward to the NCAA title game tonight, which again, hopefully I can get to sleep within the next hour or two. But if you hear my tone of my voice, I don't sound like I'm sleepy at all which means I'm probably going to end up sleeping the majority of the day away and it's going to just put me back in the same position because I can't miss the game tonight. So for all you guys that say you want to scout and you want to scout internationally, this is one of the things that you're probably going to have to deal with. I know for me personally, I have always struggled with adapting to like my my body clock adapting. I, I lived in China, which is even like depending on where... What time of year it is could be anywhere between a 14 to 15 hour time difference. And I remember plenty of days where I just was wide awake like this. But I think this is probably just as equally as bad because I'm staying up watching games. And by the time the games are over, it is early in the morning. Like right now, the sun is out. Not necessarily the sun, but it is daylight. And I have not been to sleep. So hopefully I can get some sleep. All right, that's enough about my my crazy schedule. I don't want to sound like I'm complaining because, again, I'm very, very thankful and and blessed to be in this position. But I just want some sleep. All right, when we return, I'll give you a recap on the plays of the top NBA prospects in the Final Four. But now I want to talk to you about Built Bar. Now, you know, you've been listening for a while. You know Built Bar is... I mean, it is like the best tasting candy bar. And if you had like New Year's resolutions, then I, I mean, it's April now. Those things are probably gone. But if you are sticking to your New Year's resolution and you want to eat healthy, even if you haven't and you want to eat healthy, you need like, you know, something to snack on, try a Built Bar. But not only just a Built Bar, try the Built Bar Puffs. If you haven't tried it, then you're missing out. It is one of the best tasting candy bars. And the Puffs, they are these new... And it's the first ever protein-infused marshmallow. They're fluffy, marshmallowy, and it's not just a protein bar. It is a treat that is covered with 100% real chocolate. You heard that correctly, 100% real chocolate. And the puffs are a fan favorite. They have incredible flavors like this yummy cinnamony churro. They have coconut marshmallow, banana cream pie. Whichever one you like, I guarantee you it will be a favorite. And all the Built Bars, and I'll say it again, just in case you did not hear me the first time, all the Built Bars are covered with 100% real chocolate. And yes, that includes the Puffs. 100% real chocolate, low calorie, high protein. They will replace your candy bars. Or actually, they should replace your candy bars because they're better. And a typical candy bar can be anywhere from two to 300 calories. While most built bar, built bars, oh, tired. While most built bars are 130 calories, four grams of sugar, four net carbs, and 17 grams of protein. Now, would you compare that with a candy bar? It's around, yeah, you know, 240 calories, 30 grams of sugar, and dozens of net carbs. Check out some of the flavors: mint brownie, coconut, coconut almond, and the new, and I call it the Jason Williams, the white chocolate cookies and cream. They're all delicious, and they have new flavors coming out every month. So check it out. Go to Built.com. Use the promo code LOCKED15, and you'll get 15% off your next order. 
Use the promo code LOCKED15 and you'll get 15% off of your next order. 15%, you know, everybody wants to save a little money here. All right, now let's talk about the Locked On Now podcast. So once again, thank you for making Locked On NBA Draft your first listen of the day. I forgot to thank you in the beginning. Thank you. Thank you so much. Again, thank you for making Locked On NBA Draft your first listen of the day. Now, for your second listen, I would suggest you check out the Locked On Now podcast. The Locked On Now podcast gives you nightly recaps of every NBA game with analysis from your local experts. It is free and it is available wherever you get your podcast. All right, now let's talk about the play of the top NBA prospects in the Final Four. And let's go with the undercard, even though it's kind of disrespectful to Kansas and Villanova. Both of those schools are blue blood schools. Some people may not consider Villanova a blue blood school, but I mean, I I think they are. Now, Gonzaga, that's a totally different story, but I think Villanova is. I mean, they have enough national championships, but it was the undercard and Duke Carolina was the heavyweight match. But let's start off with the undercard. Ochai Akbaji. Now, Akbaji is someone that I wrote an article on, on NBA Big Board. I compared him to Desmond Bain in a sense, senior, having a very productive senior year, may fall late in the draft because teams may think that he has a limited upside because he's a senior. As soon as I write that article, he goes like ice cold from the field. Like, I think he was like one of 11 on senior night versus Texas. Like as soon as I wrote the article and he kind of brought that ice cold shooting a little bit into the tournament. He was less than impressive in the victories over Texas Southern, Creighton and Providence he shot just 12 of 36 from the floor in those three games, and he missed 10 of his 12 attempts from three. So in my mind, I'm like, oh, man, I just wrote this article. I compared him to Bain, who was, like, shooting lights out. And Agbaji was, I mean, for the most of the season, he was flirting with, like, 50, 45 shooting splits from the floor, and then he got cold. But, however, he has bounced back with... Just great shooting performances over the last two games. Started off in the Elite Eight versus Miami. And then in Saturday's game over Villanova. In the combined games, he shot 14 for for 20 from the field. And a blistering, blistering 8 of 9 from 3. Which has put Kansas in position for their showdown tonight versus North Carolina. Also, Christian Brown, he chipped in 10 points, 5 assists, and he hit a dagger. Now, even though like the game was kind of out of reach, I think it was like 68-59, to 59, but it felt like Villanova was kind of making a little bit of a run, and, uh, and it was at the end of the shot clock, but he made a 3, and what confidence that kid has. I mean, he made the 3, and he definitely let the crowd know that he was clutch. I wish I was there courtside. I mean, I'd probably be getting better sleep if I was in the States and I was in Europe, but this is the life I chose. But he gave the crowd a mouthful. I don't know what he was saying, but um, I, I don't I don't think it's something that I could play on this family-friendly show. But he definitely let the, everyone know within range that, that he was clutch. And, I mean, his shot literally just closed the door on Villanova, and it was like the 
the shot that ultimately just pushed Kansas in the title game. Now, if you didn't know anything about basketball and you were just watching the game, you probably would have thought David McCormick was the best player that night. Now, he isn't considered a top 60 prospect, but he had a dominant game with 25 points on 10 to 12 shooting. He's someone that I expect to see on someone's summer league roster in July, and I think that he could ultimately have a, a, a good long career in Europe. Now, for Villanova, it was Colin Gillespie's last game, which capped off a brilliant career where he won a national title. I think he was like back-to-back Big East Player of the Year. And I know it was a tough loss. Villanova was shorthanded, but he played well, 17 points, five threes. It's very doubtful that he gets drafted. I mean, it's kind of tough for seniors to to get drafted in today's NBA, even though we saw a couple last year, then including Desmond Bain in, in 2020. But I don't think Gillespie will get drafted. But I do believe that he'll make an NBA roster at some point in his career. All right. When we return, I'll talk about the main event. And this is the game that featured Duke with five, up to five, maybe even six NBA prospects on their roster, including Paolo Bancaro, who I have as the number one pick. All right, but before I get into that, let's talk to you about today's title sponsor, which is Bet Online. And BetOnline.net is your number one source for all of your betting needs and sports info. And you can find all of the latest sports developments, including this week's Masters Championship odds, podcasts and reviews for all the different leagues this season bet online is your continued source for all of your sporting wagering information it includes live betting esports and scores so head to the website today or use your mobile device where you can learn more about the trends and the action bet online is where the game starts all right let's get to the main event and but I mean, we'll start off with talking about Duke, the runner-up. Well, it ain't even a runner-up. The loser in this heavyweight bout. And Paolo Bancaro, who I mentioned, is the number one prospect on my big board. He has been for the majority of the season. I start off with Chet at number one. And then I was kind of like on shaky ground with Chet as number one after I saw Bancaro's opening night performance at the, I think it was like the Champions Classic where he obliterated Kentucky but then when Paolo went up against Gonzaga November 26th I remember I was in Barcelona and I stayed up I think that game started at 3 a.m stayed up to watch the game and Ben Carroll put on a show in the first half before going out with cramps ever since then he's been my number one pick I know between Chet and Jabari Smith they've been the flavor of the month for months after that but I stayed firm with Ben Carroll and he lived up to my expectations and the hype in the NCAA tournament. Now, in this game against North Carolina, he finished with 20 points, 10 rebounds, 2 assists on 8 of 17 shooting. And he made 2 of 4 from 3, which, you know, was kind of cons- consistent with his play during the NCAA tournament. He averaged overall in 5 games, he averaged 18.8 points, 7.6 rebounds, 3.4 assists. He shot 50% from the floor, and he quieted the concerns. Maybe some of them. Some people, I mean, they're, they're, 
their mind is already set. But he quieted some of the concerns about his three-point shooting by knocking down 10 out of 19 attempts from three. If I would have told you coming into the tournament that Bancaro would be Duke's best three-point shooter, you probably would have thought I was crazy. Now, overall in the game, he did have a couple of his shots blocked. But I thought that he showed that he's going to be a big-time scoring threat in the league. I think with this combination of size, strength, and ball handling, I think he's a matchup problem. Again, we're talking a guy that's 6'10", 250, that can post up. He can handle the ball. He only had two assists, but I felt like he made the right reads. Got a couple guys open looks that just weren't knocking down shots, which was really Duke's problem. Easily, Paolo Bancaro is my top pick in June's draft, and I've heard some concerns about is he the next Jabari Parker or is he the next Jason Tatum? And I think if you don't like Duke, then you're going to say he's Jabari Parker. If you're a Duke fan, then you're going to lean towards Tatum. I mean, even if he's somewhere in the middle, I mean, that may not be worthy of the number one pick. But I don't think that he is Jabari Parker. And even if, let's say he is Jabari Parker, Jabari Parker was productive when he played. Now, I don't know all the ins and outs of why he's not in the league and why he's out at 27. He was productive when he played. And, I mean, he doesn't like defense. I think, I mean, this is the same guy that made a comment, like, I don't get paid to play defense. So I think that has a, a role in it. I think Bancaro makes a better effort on, on defense. But, again, Parker was a second pick. And that, what, 2014 draft was, like, super hyped. And people thought that Wiggins and Parker were going to be, like, these, I mean, two <laughs> studs that battled it out for years and created a rivalry. Did not happen. But... Paolo Bancaro, the number one pick in my big board or mock draft, whatever. He is my top prospect. Now, A.J. Griffin, he was literally a no-show for Duke. Finished 1 of 7 from the floor, 0 for 4 from 3, only had 6 points. Definitely not the game that he'll want to remember. And definitely not a game that you want to be your last impression for NBA scouts. I thought he was trending in the right direction in the Arkansas game where he made a few plays off the dribble. And just showed that he can attack closeouts. In this game, he just did not look like the same player. And during the game, I tweeted that A.J. Griffin being outscored by North Carolina's Leaky Black, who Duke was not even guarding, was a major win for the Tar Heels. And I ended up being correct because Leaky Black outplayed A.J. Griffin. And Leaky Black has, I mean, all year he's kind of been criticized by North Carolina fans has been a zero, playing with four guys on offense because he doesn't contribute much with his outside shooting. He stepped up big, but I'll get to Carolina in a few. Now, Mark Williams, who was having a brilliant tournament up until Saturday night, proved that he might have been Duke's most important player. Now, he was in foul trouble early, and without him, Duke was just not the same team. They missed his size on both ends of the floor. Now, when he did play, he was productive. He finished with eight points and four rebounds in just 17 minutes. But he'll be more remembered for his missed free throws in the clutch. And I know that's going to forever haunt him and Duke fans. I mean, it's already pressure playing in a Final Four or an NCAA tournament game. It's even more pressure when it is your heated, hated rival you know that's like i think like nine miles apart i mean just in my opinion the best rivalry in college basketball on top of all the drama with it being the final four and coach k 
and missing two free throws, I mean, that's something that hopefully he can recover from. Hopefully he can put it past him. Easier said than done, especially for me to say because I'm not in that position. But I, I really do hope that it's something that he can overcome and and just doesn't let it impact his life going forward. Because at the end of the day, at the end of the day, this is sports. We have seen situations like Nick Anderson, for example, missed a couple of free throws, was never able to recover. It was like a mental hurdle. So again, I hope that is not the case for Mark Williams. Wendell Moore also had, I'll just be honest, an awful night shooting four or fourteen from the floor. He did have, I think, 10 points, 8 rebounds, but it just felt like he just was not giving Bancaro and Trevor Kills any help. Now, Kills is someone that I have not been very high on all season long, but he stepped up big time for Duke. Outside of Bancaro, he was the only Duke player that looked good and, and, and left a good impression from a draft perspective. Only three Duke players scored in double figures. Uh, Wendell Moore was the other one with 10 points, but Keels had, I mean, he, he had a very impressive game, especially for me, because like I said, I haven't been high on him. 19 points, 8 of 14 shooting. He finished some tough drives to the rim with some soft touch finishes. And again, I think he really ended his season on a positive note after having a really quiet performance in the tournament. And that was highlighted by the donut, the zero points that he put up against Texas Tech. So a big bounce back game for him, a way to leave a lasting impression. And then Jeremy Roach, he had some draft momentum coming into the game. And I thought that he was a really key player for Duke in the tournament. But he was also off. He struggled, only making two out of 11 from the field. Now, it'd be interesting to see what he does this summer I personally think that he should return to school, and this NIL is a game changer, and since he's unlikely to be a first-round pick, and I'm just going to assume here that the NIL money from a school like Duke pays more than a G League salary, I think he should stay in school. I think that he should carry the momentum that he had in the tournament into next season, and he'll, he'll be one of the top prospects for, or top returning prospects next year. All right, let's get to North Carolina. And Armando Baycott was an absolute beast on the glass. Mr. Windex Man, which, you know, it's not surprising if you've been following college basketball in Carolina all season. He's been dominating the boards, I mean, just at an incredible rate. And he had a second straight 20 rebound game. Unfortunately for him, well, this is just my opinion, but unfortunately for him, I think he was born in the wrong era. Era. E-R-A, era. Again, blame it on me being tired. Now, there aren't a lot of roster spots in the NBA for old school, traditional, low low post bruisers that play below the rim. And although he's not as big as Steven Adams, best case scenario is that maybe there's a team that thinks he can have a Steven Adams type role, but he's not really... Even though the numbers say so, I don't think that he's really a, a, a great rim protector. Now, Brady Manek and R.J. Davis, on the other hand, both are, like Baycott, outside of my top 60. But I feel like they've helped themselves with NBA scouts. Now, Davis is a sophomore. And like Roach, I think he should return to school. While Manek is a long shot to make an NBA roster. But what he has going for him is that he has the size and he has a skill set that he can hang his hat on. 
which is his outside shooting. So we'll, we'll see what happens. He's someone I think that we'll see in the summer league. Again, outside chance, but like I said, he does have a skill set that transfers to the modern day NBA game. All right, wrapping up the prospect watch. Can't help but leave Caleb Love for last. And Caleb Love was the big winner this weekend. Life-changing weekend for Caleb Love. He is now a legend in Chapel Hill. The only concern is you don't want, like, North Carolina or, I mean, their team or, or, or Love to feel like beating Duke was the national championship. They still have a game to play tonight. But what a story that he has. If you don't know Caleb Love's story... He came into his freshman season as a projected one-and-done prospect. He was highly touted, and he had a very, very disappointing freshman season. He only shot 31% from the floor and only 26% from three. He came back this year. He improved his field goal percentage. He got off to like a good start, and then it just kind of declined from there. He still was inefficient. He only shot about like 37% from the floor. So he did improve. But, I mean, he was so inefficient that even, like, a, a moderate improvement was going to make him even inefficient. <laughs> but he was inconsistent all season. And he was even inconsistent in the tournament. Now, he had, like, some good games. He had a good game against Marquette. He had, like, a 30-point or 28-point game against UCLA. Then he had the big game against Duke. But between those games, he had the game against St. Peter's where he was, like, 6 or 17 from the floor. Then he had the game against Baylor, which was like the turning point for me in the North Carolina tournament run. I mean, they were up big. They had to fight back, which was, I mean, one of the best games overall in this tournament. But in that game against Baylor, he only had five points. He shot one of six from the floor and finished with six turnovers. So you don't know which Caleb Love you're going to get on a game-by-game basis. But one of the things I will say about Caleb Love He's got big balls. <laughs> Pause. All right, but <laughs> in the biggest game of his career, like he literally balled out. He showed big guts. He wasn't afraid of the moment. He outplayed every single Duke prospect that is ranked higher than him, had 30 points, but it was his clutch shot. I mean, a huge shot that will forever be remembered that would make him a legend in Chapel Hill. That's why I say this weekend for Caleb Love was life-changing. And I know that game felt like a championship game. Hopefully, well, I mean, I don't want to say hopefully because it'll make it sound like I'm biased. But if you're a Carolina fan, hopefully the momentum from that game carries over into tonight and you don't want it to feel like they already, you know, celebrated the, the Duke win as their national championship. It'll be interesting to see what happens with Caleb Love. I've seen comparisons to Shabazz Napier to where Napier was. You know, he was a a fringe first-round pick, but played so well. And UConn's title run had the tweet from LeBron, ended up being a first-round pick. And, you know, had, you know, a decent career. But it was LeBron's co-sign that got him that guaranteed money. And Shabazz is now currently out of the NBA. Not saying that is the scenario for Caleb Love, but I have seen the comparisons. I think that he may have played himself into a first round pick despite some of the concerns and on one hand you want to judge a player by his overall body of work and not kind of get caught up into the hype of you know how he played in the tournament but I think Love does have some 
skills that could translate he does have some intangibles i, I mean I, I have him as a first round pick all right well thank you so much for listening to me ramble while i'm like full of energy but tired at the same time thank you for making locked on nba draft your first listen of the day now i would ask you to check out the locked on nba podcast the locked on experts are covering the biggest stories around the nba every monday through friday and they get it done in less than 30 minutes check it out locked on nba it is free and it is available wherever you get your podcast once again it's rafael barlow from nba draft junkies the new director of scouting for nba big board and i am signing out Oh yeah, this is the part in the show where I say I am out. <laughs>